0: to take better care of your patients on your next shift. Greetings all. Welcome back to another episode of Addiction in Emergency Medicine and Acute Care. Dr. Casey Grover back once again as your host. This episode, I am hoping, is going to be a thought-provoking one. We're going to talk about, and I'm going to put this in quotes, drug-seeking patients and why I think that term needs to go away. We'll get started with a clinical case from my emergency department that I saw last year. I have had quite a few cases like this in the past, but this one stood out to me as a case that I learned a lot from. A 40-year-old male presented to the emergency department with facial swelling. He reported that he had a history of both methamphetamine use disorder and opiate use disorder, but was in recovery. He reported that he had facial swelling on the left cheek for about two days, and that he thought it was a molar that was infected that was the culprit. He told me that he had a lot of dental damage from his methamphetamine use. However, there was no history of fevers or vomiting. He had tried acetaminophen at home without relief. He couldn't sleep secondary to the pain, so he presented to the emergency department at 4 a.m. He reported a past medical history of anxiety, depression, opiate use disorder in recovery, methamphetamine use disorder in recovery, and asthma. He also had a history of gastric bypass. His current medications included lorazepam 1 mg TID for anxiety, fluoxetine 20 mg daily, and albuterol as needed. He also reported that he had some recent orthopedic surgery and had been successfully managed, he reported proudly to me, with hydrocodone for pain without having a relapse on opiates. When I examined him, he had normal vital signs and obvious swelling over the left maxillary area. I examined his mouth and found diffuse dental caries along with erosion of the crown of the first and second maxillary premolars on the left side, and his cheek swelling was just exterior to those two teeth or what was left of them due to dental caries. There was no pericoronal abscess, and there was no percussion tenderness of the left maxillary sinus. And so I thought to myself, easy peasy, let's do a dental block with some marcaine. he'll be so happy to be pain-free without opiates, and then we'll get him on some antibiotics. I explained to the patient that he had a dental infection and that we could get him pain-free with a dental block. He reported to me, doc, I just can't get a dental block. Needles remind me of previous injection drug use and they'll trigger me to relapse. Huh. I thought to myself, that's going to make things harder. The patient then added that he did really well with intramuscular morphine after his recent orthopedic surgery and that the intramuscular shot didn't make him relapse. He told me that he just looked away during the intramuscular injection and didn't see the needle so it wasn't triggering. He said it was just like a flu shot. I went through a few other classes of pain meds in my mind. He couldn't take NSAIDs due to his gastric bypass, and meds like pregabalin and gabapentin made him hallucinate. Hmm, I was thinking, that's even harder still. So, not quite sure what to do, I told the patient I needed to go review his chart and stepped out of the room. As I was deliberating about how to proceed, his nurse let me know that his pain was increasing and he was asking what our plan for medications was. Okay. Okay. So I was summing this up in my mind, I have a patient with a history of methamphetamine and opiate use reportedly in recovery who has a dental infection, is declining a dental block, is intolerant of multiple medications, and reports doing well with parenteral morphine and oral hydrocodone. There's a lot of red flags here. And let's stop and talk about this. Earlier in my career, I would have called this patient drug-seeking. However, I'm going to argue that the term drug-seeking really needs to go away. Why, do you ask? I'm going to read you a piece that I wrote and published earlier in 2022 in the journal Emergency Medicine News on this very topic, and then we'll come back to the case and pick up where I left off during that shift. The title of the article that I wrote is, quote, It's Time to Retire the Term Drug-Seeking, and it was published in Emergency Medicine News in April 2022. Here we go with the article. One of the things that I love most about medicine is that it is constantly evolving, changing, and improving, particularly as new evidence or research shines more light on a topic. I have physicians in my group that trained doing diagnostic peritoneal lavage and yet for me in my training, it was just a historical footnote. As a medical student in the 2000s and as a resident in the early 2010s, I was fascinated by the phenomenon of drug seeking. I can remember finding some great articles from the literature on the topic that outlined the behaviors of so-called drug seekers and carefully monitoring for those behaviors in my patients while on shift. I personally took on the topic as a resident publishing two papers trying to quantify just how frequently these drug-seeking behaviors were actually used. As I began my career as an attending, I felt like I really understood how to manage drug-seeking behaviors based on my research and review of the literature. These patients needed to be cut off from any drugs that they were requesting as they were clearly addicted, and many of them needed special notes in their chart to alert my colleagues that I had caught them red-handed in their drug-seeking behavior. The only problem with my understanding and approach to drug-seeking behavior as a new attending is that I didn't actually understand the topic. My treatment plans at the time contributed to patients going from prescription medications like opiates to illicit drugs like heroin. Just like many of you, my they-just-need-to-be-cut-off approach to patients exhibiting signs of substance use missed the fact that patients with substance use have dependence and withdrawal. And by not managing dependence and withdrawal in my practice, I forced patients to buy their substances on the street to stave off withdrawal since I was unwilling to help them. I personally was part of the United States opiate epidemics move from prescription pain pills to heroin. Now, fast forward to the late 2010s and I had finally learned about drug dependence and withdrawal. I obtained my buprenorphine waiver and now take pride in treating patients with substance use by treating their drug dependence and withdrawal and referring them to a drug treatment program for their substance use. Last month, I got a text message from one of my emergency department staff with a picture from an educational conference on emergency medicine that showed me that my research on drug seeking was still being used for education on drug seeking behavior. My colleague was very impressed that my research was the centerpiece of the educational module that she was learning from. I, on the other hand, was rather concerned. My initial response was, who uses the term drug-seeking anymore? On my very next shift in the emergency department, I was reviewing the chart of the next patient that I was going to see and I saw the diagnosis in her chart of drug-seeking behavior. At her last ED visit, she was given a diagnosis of drug-seeking behavior and promptly discharged. Any guesses what she came back to the ED for? You guessed it. Opiate withdrawal. I saw her in opiate withdrawal and was able to induce her on buprenorphine and refer her to one of our local drug treatment programs. Despite the passion early in my career on the topic of drug seeking behavior, I now realize that drug seeking is not a condition or a diagnosis, but rather a symptom of many different conditions. And since drug-seeking evokes judgment and prompts providers to abruptly stop any treatment, the term needs to be retired. As I am soon to be board-certified in addiction medicine, in addition to emergency medicine, I have a much better understanding of what drug-seeking behavior is, and that is a symptom of various conditions that must be investigated further. First, a substance use disorder. A patient with an active substance use disorder, also known as addiction, may exhibit drug-seeking behavior towards their substance of choice due to the cravings and psychological changes from their substance use disorder such as benzodiazepine use disorder or opiate use disorder. Second, drug dependence. A patient with drug dependence may exhibit drug-seeking behavior to a substance that they are dependent on for various reasons, from fear of rebound symptoms when the medication runs out, as in the case of anxiety and benzodiazepines, to fear of withdrawal. Third, withdrawal. A patient in acute withdrawal may exhibit drug-seeking behavior while in acute withdrawal to relieve the discomfort of withdrawal, such as a patient seeking opiates when they are in opiate withdrawal. Fourth, severe uncontrolled symptoms. A patient with severe uncontrolled symptoms such as anxiety or pain may exhibit drug-seeking behavior to seek relief from these severe uncontrolled symptoms. Fifth, any combination, two or more, of those previous conditions that I mentioned. For us as emergency physicians, drug-seeking behavior used to be really easy. We called all drug-seeking behavior addiction did not do any further investigation, and told the patient that they would not receive the medication that they were asking for, and sometimes even that they weren't welcome back in our emergency department. However, we really missed the mark on this, as the phenomenon of drug-seeking behavior is so much more complex, and these patients desperately need more evaluation and treatment than just a judgmental discharge. Just as we don't talk to a patient with nausea and tell them it's just nausea and discharge them home without any further workup or treatment, we need to start calling drug-seeking behavior what it is, a symptom of various conditions that need to be further evaluated to determine the right treatment. So, the next time you find yourself using the term drug-seeking behavior, take the next step and sit down with the patient to dig deeper into the history and find out what's really going on. We, as physicians in the United States, already tried blowing off drug-seeking behavior with judgment and rapid discharge. It has led to the worst epidemic of substance use and overdoses in the history of our nation, with over 100,000 deaths from overdose in the past year. Our patients are ready for us to do better. That was the end of the article that I wrote. So with that perspective, what do we think about this case? Once again, I have a patient with a history of methamphetamine and opiate use, reportedly in recovery, who is declining a dental block, who has multiple medication intolerances, and is asking for morphine or hydrocodone for pain control, as he has reported doing well with parenteral morphine and oral hydrocodone after a recent surgery. So what would you do here? Would you tell the patient to go home with PO non-opioid meds and antibiotics? Would you give morphine? It was a really tough decision. So what did I do? The patient, given his methamphetamine use, had significant dental disease and undoubtedly had real pain from an infected tooth. I have had multiple patients with a history of injection drug use tell me over the years that seeing needles triggers cravings for a return to injection drug use. I sometimes will stop to ask patients with a history of injection drug use before I do a procedure if seeing needles will be triggering for them and to see what I can do to avoid triggers. So back to this patient. My first thought was we need to tackle this infection. I started by placing an IV and ordering the patient IV ampicillin sulbactam to start treating his infection. In retrospect, I think the IV was a mistake which you'll hear about shortly. I ordered some parenteral acetaminophen, as there is some literature that shows that parenteral acetaminophen can be as effective as morphine after surgery. I reviewed the patient's prescription drug monitoring program report and found that he was getting regular hydrocodone from his orthopedic surgeon after his surgery, in addition to regular lorazepam from a psychiatrist. This was obviously very concerning given the history of substance use. The patient was getting more stressed out about pain control and unfortunately did not have relief with parenteral acetaminophen. I went through my options. No relief at home with oral acetaminophen, no relief in the ED with parenteral acetaminophen, unable to take NSAID secondary to gastric bypass, intolerant of gabapentinoids, and declining a dental block secondary to fear of drug cravings. I felt pretty stuck. And his nurse was starting to give me the look of, Doc, you've got to do something about this man's pain. So with increasing levels of pain and few options, I felt like I had no other option but to move to opiates. I started with a dose of PO hydrocodone as I felt it would be less potentially triggering of a relapse on opiates. This didn't work fast enough and the patient was continuing to tell his nurse he was in severe pain. He was now rocking back and forth in the gurney complaining of pain Which, in retrospect, was probably a combination of anxiety, pain, and opiate-induced hyperalgesia from previous opiate use. So I felt like my last option was to give IV morphine, which I did. And I felt like a horrible doctor. I was really worried that I may have caused this patient to relapse on opiates by giving him parenteral morphine. I actually lost quite a bit of sleep thinking about how I could have taken better care of the patient. The patient calmed down and reported improved pain after the IV morphine. The patient stayed in the ED for a few hours, got a second dose of IV ampicillin sulbactam, and then got transitioned to PO-hydrocodone, PO-amoxicillin clavulanate, and was discharged home. So, let's go back to my opinion piece. This patient was clearly drug-seeking. He was looking for opiates, but the real question is why? first. Let's talk about opiate use disorder. The patient has a history of opiate use disorder and reported being in recovery. In retrospect, do I think this patient still had an active opiate use disorder? I think so, based on his focus on receiving treatment with opiates in the ED. Can I prove it? No. The patient would not admit to having a problem with opiates, and he reported that hydrocodone and morphine didn't trigger a relapse for him. I thought about what could I have done better here? Well, buprenorphine could have been really helpful for pain and is less euphoric than other opioids and therefore less likely to trigger a relapse. I also think the IV was a bad choice, as once the IV is in, it can be used for multiple doses of medication. Once that IV is in, a patient with an active substance use disorder knows that he or she has the ability to get multiple rapid push doses of a medication. In this case, a single intramuscular dose of morphine, only if needed, would have been better or just oral meds. And I also could have just refused to give opioids, telling the patient that I didn't feel comfortable giving opioids with the history of opioid use disorder. And truthfully, I was really uncomfortable giving opiates in this case. I genuinely believe that I may have harmed this patient by contributing to a relapse on opiates. Let's also talk about the patient's severe uncontrolled pain. The patient likely had opiate induced hyperalgesia from previous opioid disorder with intolerances to multiple non opioid medications in multiple classes. So, what could I have done better here? First, a dental block really would have solved everything and that is my go-to for dental pain in 100% of cases. I should have dug deeper into this patient's concern about a dental block being triggering to see how we could have worked together to treat pain with a dental block without causing triggering. I could have pre-treated the patient with a topical anesthetic before injecting a local anesthetic. I could have provided a blindfold to the patient so he couldn't see the needle or even considered using distraction with a video or music from his phone to distract away the needle. Also, as we all know, multimodal pain therapy is best, so thinking of all the different categories of pain meds and adding them in is ideal. For this case, adding in a topical lidocaine preparation such as lidocaine gel could have been very helpful given the concern about a dental block. Perhaps also adding in a low-dose antipsychotic could have been helpful to reduce anxiety about pain and opiates. And since I had an IV in, I also could have given some other and less commonly used options for pain, such as IV lidocaine. Given the history of substance use disorder, I do not think ketamine would have been a good choice here. And once again, if we have to use an opiate, use those that are least euphoric, such as buprenorphine. I definitely would avoid hydromorphone and oxycodone. So, putting it all together, how did I do? In my mind, I think I could have done a lot better and I learned a lot from this case. My practice today in 2022 is better as a result of this case that I had last year and what I learned from it. This is a very challenging area of medicine as there is really no evidence-based answer on what the right answer is on this case. As you can imagine, there are different perspectives on what to do here. I called a friend of mine who is in recovery herself to see what I could have done better, and she told me straight up, Dr. Grover, you got played. That patient knew exactly what to say to get opiates out of you. I also reviewed this case with another colleague who told me that my plan of care was completely appropriate. I listened to the patient, addressed his concerns about medications, and only used opiates when nothing else worked for pain relief, and then only used the less euphoric opioids for treatment. So, if you're willing, I would love to hear how you would have managed this case. Send me an email at addictionemac at fastmail.com. I hope you found digging into the complex issues exemplified by this case as helpful as I did. I truly believe that the term drug-seeking needs to be retired. To quote myself from my article, quote, We need to start calling drug-seeking behavior what it is a symptom of various conditions that need to be further evaluated to determine the right treatment, end quote. As you know from your practice, and as we have discussed in this episode, this can sometimes be complicated, time-consuming, and difficult, but it's the right thing to do for our patients. And that's all for this episode. Thank you for listening, and thanks for what you do. And don't forget, treating substance use disorders saves lives.